0: Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report podcast. I'm your host, Vago Maradian. Our podcast is brought to you by Bell since 1935. Bell has been redefining flight. Learn more about its pioneering spirit at bellflight.com. And joining us now is Renan Horowitz, the president and CEO of Elbit Systems of America. Renan, thanks so very much for joining us. It's always great having you on the program. Vago, it's a pleasure talking to you again. Before we get started, Leonardo DRS sponsors our global coverage. Fortress Information Security sponsors our weekly cyber report. Northrop Grumman supports our cyber coverage overall. And General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our coverage of strategy. You've been a great touchstone throughout this pandemic uh, to uh, discuss all manner of issues. It now looks like we're uh, thankfully and finally really uh, climbing uh, out of it. Uh, From from your standpoint, you know, what, what were sort of the broader lessons learned and what are your priorities now coming out of this, right? And, and what's different? You and I talked about the nature of work changing, um, how that was actually benefiting you by not traveling, but then recognizing that it's important to have key FaceTime with your clients and customers. Uh, they're changing. We're in a little bit of a different environment. What, what are the different elements of this environment that we're emerging into?
1: Well, Vago, I think on, on the one hand, uh, I can see the business returning to the normal cadence. You know, we have trade shows going on, um, AFA, Quad A, next week is Modern Day Marine, after that, Sofic. So we're, we're seeing face-to-face events and, uh, and, uh, and meetings, uh, things are building up. At the same time, I think that we are facing the situation where a lot of the mindset has changed regarding to the ability to work remote and hybrid. And that definitely is one of the expectations uh, out of the pandemic of our workforce for us to preserve and maintain their flexibility. I think one of the key challenges I'm finding is how to find the right balance. You know, On one hand, we want to treat our employees with respect and, and as responsible individuals and allowing them some of the flexibility and not necessarily tell them we've got to go back to the exact same uh, cadence we had before the pandemic. On the other hand, we need people to come together in order to do uh, innovation, in order to do creativity, problem solving, and so forth. Um, That's one of the areas that that we really are facing. And I think that's very, very key also for the ability to continue to attract and retain uh, top talents. Um, example of some of the things we're doing, we're realizing that we need to uh, be more distributed on our engineering capabilities and technical capabilities. Uh, we recently opened a new office in Cambridge, a Cambridge Innovation Center in Massachusetts, so we're closer to talent uh, in that area, both in the defense and aerospace and in life sciences. Uh, we are expanding our uh, advanced c- computing center and AI in Orlando for the same purpose. Uh, we just uh, announced and, uh, and broke ground uh, about a month ago in uh, North Charleston, South Carolina on our new Grand Combat Vehicle Assembly Integration Center. So I think part of the thing in here is the realization that we have to take the steps to make ourselves more attractive, both to the customers and the talent and the workforce.
0: Um, let me uh, take you to uh, the question of uh, inflation and supply chains, as as we've discussed. Right, a lot of debate and discussion. Uh, it looks like the the rate of inflation increase is at least uh, slowing down. The Fed is uh, engaged in that process, and we've heard from Pentagon comptroller Mike McCord that, look, I mean, in in defense, inflation really is programmed in this. On the other hand, it's it and and you guys program for it also in your contracts, right? So it's not. Because it's 10% in the broader economy does not necessarily mean it's 10% uh, for, for the department. Talk to us about the impact of inflation, the rate and pace of inflation, because it affects everything from raw materials to finished products, but also to, to manpower and people costs, which are, which are going up uh, as people r- resign and the jobs market's really hot. How, how, how are you dealing? What, what are the impact of these costs and how are you dealing with them?
1: Vago, I think first of all, I want to make uh, it very clear: the impact of inflation and rising costs is real. It's not a, an aberration, and I don't think it's something that we can uh, we can dismiss. I think it's a real issue for us and for the rest of the industry. Costs are escalating both on labor and supply chain, and it is having an impact. In fact, uh, Vago, we're finding. Some cases where suppliers that have committed already contracts with us to provide us with materials and goods for uh, for certain prices are coming back and and wanting unilateral changes in the pricing, um, and and are putting a lot of pressure on us to actually improve, increase the prices. So I, I think these are these are real, and we have to face them. So some of the things we're we're doing we're we're in. Increasing our effort to look for alternate sources, we're revisiting, make buy decisions. We're focusing double down on productivity yields, reducing scrap. Uh, we're trying to uh, do a better job in predicting the price trends and the cost trends. And I think you know, for, for for any of the people doing business with the DOD, one of the challenges is when you go in and you provide uh, a pricing proposal, and you have to provide that pricing. For an IGIQ or for a basic ordering agreement that, that lays out five years ahead and you have to commit to pricing five years ahead, that's quite a challenge. How do you predict today inflation? Um, the, the, the common understanding is you go back and look at the history, but the history these days is very different than what we're facing today, what we think will fit in the future. So it is absolutely real. We have to face it. I think from an industry perspective, from an Elbit America perspective, it forces us to really rethink and double down on, on how we buy stuff, on uh, what type of work we do, where we do the work. Um, I think that those are some of the things we are doing to mitigate. And you know, so far from our perspective, we are honoring you know, our commitment to our customers. So we're not going back to our customers and saying to them, that we want to unilaterally change the price and we, we, we honor the agreements we have but we have to work the supply chain we have to work the labor just just uh, um, much harder these days to make sure that we we end up uh, meeting the cost objectives
0: w- one of the challenges for the global supply chain um, obviously is russia's war uh, on ukraine and i want to talk to you a little bit more about that uh, in a cup in a couple of minutes but more Specifically, Russia is a very, very important uh, 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 supplier of titanium, titanium sponged, finished titanium components. Um, you know, even though Russia has been a challenge, certainly it's a big global supplier uh, at, at, at the end of the day. And one of the other uh, issues, uh, obviously, is, you know, concern about where the Chinese are with rare earths and and, and that kind of stuff, and, and more so with... Um, you know, the Chinese still produce chips that get into even uh, defense hardware. From your standpoint, what are these two dynamics? What are the pressures these two dynamics are putting on you as a very, very important intermediate supplier? Uh, And what are some of the things, uh, right, as you're looking downstream to mitigate those impacts?
1: I will say a couple of things. First of all, uh, you know, the, the most dominant impact we're seeing is around, of course, electronic chips and electronic components. And I think that that is uh, an outcome uh, of both demand and, of course, the shortage in, uh, in both raw materials and the, uh, the capacity itself to, uh, to do that. Uh, I think that, that for us, uh, the criticality is to develop these long-term relationships, with suppliers, making sure we understand and we, we uh, leverage the entire buying power of the company like Elbit at the $5.5 billion. The amount of stuff we buy, we, we do more and more of a, these global purchasing agreements to make sure we get the right priority, the right capability. And actually I will tell you one of the things we're doing is also working with our customers. So when we uh, develop and uh, produce stuff, for Lockheed or Boeing or Raytheon or BAE, we work with them to make sure together we work the supply chain and make sure we have uh, the buying power that comes from a broader uh, company and a broader supply base. So I think that that's one thing. I think just in general, um, not necessarily tying it to any specific raw materials, the thing we're seeing is a significant increase in lead times. And part of the difficulty, Vago, is that Suppliers are now reluctant to actually commit to, to lead times because they don't know uh, what's going to happen with their raw materials and their supply. So I think, I think the key is to really provide more analytics to it, to really think, look ahead at the supply chain, understand not just the first tier, but the second tier and the third tier, and have a much more sensitive and real-time view of what's happening in the supply chain. I think this is, this is very, very key. From an opportunity perspective, uh, we're starting to see in some parts of the business that actually the behavior um, and the threat from Russia and China, specifically in this example is Russia, provides us an opportunity. Um, Users uh, around the world, in Europe, that used to buy night vision tubes from Russia are now looking to us to uh, replace that, that uh, supply chain and providing that. And uh, that's, a, that's a great uh, opportunity for us to expand, to provide alternative sources. Of course, in accordance with U.S. Um, export laws and everything that's allowed, but that's a good example of where we're seeing actually an opportunity from this. I think in, it's a short term, and when I mean short term, it's probably several months or a year or two of difficulties we're facing, and then, uh, and then I think we'll come out of it with a more resilient supply chain uh, uh, basis that will allow us to weather those things better in the future.
0: Speaking about uh, the Russia's war on uh, Ukraine, the United States is. Uh, um offering Ukraine unprecedented assistance, whether it's on uh, on intelligence cooperation, but also in terms of hardware. And President Biden last week committed another $33 billion uh, to the Ukrainians. That's on top of $4 billion in aid that the United States has already given uh, Ukraine. Uh, Secretary Austin has met with defense executives uh, how to uh, better satisfy Ukraine's uh, needs, uh, while at the same time also replenishing our stocks, from uh, your standpoint, what does that mean for Elbit, and what's the role Elbit is playing? Insofar as you can discuss this, Renan? because I understand that there is actually considerably more assistance that everybody is giving than than folks are willing uh, to discuss. So I don't want to put you on the spot on anything, but you know, how how are you looking at this phase? What are some of the things, and how are some of the things? that industry can do to both support Ukraine, but also replenish U.S. stocks that are very, very depleted. I mean, obviously, we don't want to get into a position where we have vulnerabilities because we're trying to help a friend.
1: Well, I'll, I'll, I'll start, first of all, from uh, not necessarily talking about any specific you with Elbit, but just overall, I think... Uh, I, I share with a lot of other people the, the, uh, the view that, that what's happening in Ukraine and the, the aggression from the Russians is just horrible. Um, I, I think that we as a, as a free nation and the free world need to do everything we can to aid Ukraine. And I admire their bravery and, and, and their ability to withstand that aggression. So I, I think we need to do everything we can. You know, some of the areas that we specifically have seen growing demand is around night vision, and night vision capabilities, um, potentially things that are not directly related also to the exact fight right now in Ukraine, but just the increase in in, in uh, perception of threat and anxiety around uh, countries around the world. So we're seeing actually across, across the board in Europe and other places, a heightened awareness and a heightened urgency in equipping uh, militaries with capabilities for any potential uh, adversary situations in the future. So we're seeing this, there's a lot of opportunities. From a U.S. perspective, I'll just tell you from, from our perspective, we haven't seen actually too much things really moving to replenish stocks, or to do those things. Um, FY23 budget has some, but not a lot. And I think this is a concern. I think the concern is that we are depleting stocks. I think the concern that we as an industry have that one day a customer will show up and say, and now I need triple quantity suddenly with the expectation that we will be able to ramp up from uh, zero or low quantity to high acceleration in no time. And that's difficult, especially when you talk about the supply chain difficulties I mentioned, the people and talent shortages. So I I would urge the decision makers and the DOD to be more proactive with this thing, because I think we're not being as proactive enough. And I think there will be a moment where there's going to be an expectation from us in industry
0: to ramp up very quickly. And I'm not sure that we will be able to do that. And a word from our sponsors. HII sponsored our coverage of the Navy League's annual Sea Airspace Conference, and Bell sponsored our coverage of the Army Aviation Association of America's annual symposium. Let me um, ask you uh, a brief uh, question about uh, the uh, where you think defense spending is going to end up. Uh, obviously, uh, the administration has proposed one of the largest uh, defense spending increases at $773 billion, but lawmakers are talking about adding $100 billion uh, to that, recognizing that there are inflation pressures, recognizing uh, that this might not be uh, a time, you know, the administration did the best job it could and made trade-offs for the amount of money they were getting. If you give them more money, as the Secretary of the Navy, Carlos del Toro has said, I wouldn't be retiring the ships. I'm retiring. I'm just trying, I'm doing what I have to do because I have to do it from your standpoint. Where do you think as somebody who has this, these conversations, where do you think we end up?
1: I think, I think there is, there's a point Vago that everybody is not realizing that yes, we have a strategy that says, let's pose some of the things we do with regards to legacy systems. Let's retire some of them. Let's maybe take some risk on replenishment and on sustainment but at the same time, and, uh, and use that money to develop these technologies that we need in order to meet the threat from the peer adversary. So, so I, think, I think we're all realizing right now that actually the, uh, what we need is to do both. We need to double down on what we are doing with regards to uh, technology superiority and developing hypersonics and those capabilities. But at the same time, we have to be ready for uh, an immediate fight against an adversary. So we have to have replacement of the stocks. We have to have uh, availability and readiness of platforms. Both of them need to be done. The reality is if we want to do both, if we want to do both debt and technology uh, readiness and hypersonics, we will need a higher budget. I think that's a realization. And I think that um, that's what I expect will happen at what level and what rate, I'm not sure. But I'm hoping decision makers in uh, in DOD and Washington realize that we have to do both. I was uh, encouraged. I participated a couple of weeks ago in a in a meeting uh, with of the uh, different industry associations with uh, Dr. Laplante. It was actually his first day on the job, and he made time to come talk to us. I, I don't want to talk about specific topics there, but I would tell you I was uh, impressed, as usual from some, uh, some Bill's uh, willingness to listen are coming into the discussion very open-minded. He is um, a person that has experienced life in the industry in a midsize, you know, with what he's done at Draper. He has a good level of understanding of what it takes to run a business, and uh, the fact that we need predictive, predictable budgets, and we need continuity, and we need the uh, to be able to plan and to ramp up. So I, I think we have with him and some others in the department, we have the right people to do that. But I do think that realization right now is that the budget will have to grow to be able to do concurrently technology and peer competitors, but also address short-term, very real threats as a, as, as a vivid example from Russia and Ukraine situation.
0: Um, let me ask you about... Um filling administration jobs. Uh, You just mentioned uh, Dr. Bill LaPlante, uh, certainly one of the nation's most qualified people to hold uh, the job of uh, ANS, obviously was the Air Force uh, acquisition executive with experience at MITRE, Draper, and and, and so many other great institutions. There is a little bit of a concern that the administration has been very slow to fill these jobs. Uh, I mean, basically uh, run on I mean, it, it was the 18-month part, mark of the administration or, or 16-month mark of the administration when a very important job uh, was just filled. Obviously, he's beginning to move very, very quickly, uh, and uh, we're seeing a whole series of decisions and and certainly pressure to fill some of those jobs. Some of this, obviously, is on uh, the Senate, which has moved very slowly to, to fill some of these jobs. G- give us your sense. Is this impacting Uh, the industry's ability to communicate, to have dialogue. Uh, We've heard from uh, Ellen Lord, who was the last ANS, that the administration might not be moving as quickly as it should be moving. Uh, You and I have been discussing this issue of speed going back a long time, uh, actually. Uh, Give give us your your sense. Is the slow pace of filling jobs hurting uh, hurting your ability to engage at, at senior leadership levels? And given that you are engaging at a senior level, do you see signs that the administration is moving uh, as quickly as it needs to be? Because depending on who you talk to, it's either moving far more quickly than we see or others suggest, uh, as Ellen does, that we're not moving as fast. Where, where do you, where, what's your sense on both of those?
1: Uh, I think my sense, Vago, is that uh, we need to move faster. Uh, I, I absolutely think the fact that, that some of the positions have stayed uh, unfulfilled for a very long time is actually having impact. I think we need to move faster. And, and I think it's not the issue of just the speed. I mean, the fact that we have holes in positions is hurting the ability to really uh, have a, a elevate the dialogue and, uh, and address the things. I think the people that are acting in those positions, I admire them. They do the best they can. Uh, double or triple duty. And, and I appreciate that. Uh, thank you for those uh, civil servants. But at the same time, I think we need the right people in the right places to have the dialogue. And I think it's having an impact. Vago, I think I, think I would be remiss from saying that I think uh, part of it is, is Congress's uh, uh, fault because uh, with some of the limitations that Congress is trying to impose with regards to um, the future career or what they perceive as conflict of interest or limitations about Coming from the industry into the department, I think that actually makes life very difficult for the administration to be able to fulfill some of those jobs with people that I think are going to be are, are very very qualified and can be trusted uh, and respected, that they will prioritize national security and not personal interest. so uh, I think that the administration can go faster. I think that from my perspective, um, Congress should also um, be a way more practical and understand that uh, not every potential conflict is going to become a conflict. And, and that will maybe open the aperture for additional people to be willing to come in and step in to these
0: very critical uh, national security type jobs that I think the country deserves. The president has signed uh, Buy American uh, directives. Uh, obviously, it's to look at security of supply, there are waivers. Uh, right. And there's going to be some judgments, So none of this stuff is going to be automatic. But we were talking about uh, this issue in the last administration where people were raising questions. You're part of a global company. It's an American company. Uh, but you're bringing technology not just from Israel to the United States, but from the United States to Israel and elsewhere around the world as a global company. Um, what are your concerns about the Buy American directives? Uh, and what's the right way to strike the right balance? Because ultimately, we want American forces to, and our allies to have the very best technology in their hands.
1: I, I think, uh, I think um, the, the right way to, to address that is to really understand also the potential unintended, unintended consequences of some of those policies, trying to drive them from top down and use a quota, basically, system, you know, percentages and quotas. I think that that can drive actually the wrong outcome and the wrong consequences. Because what we want to focus on is where we need to have control and ownership of critical discriminating technologies. And piling everything up together in in statistics and not differentiating between stuff that's really important for us to, to do in America and provide value and high-value jobs to other stuff, I think, can lead to a situation that we're not going to achieve our objectives. What are the objectives in the end? The objectives are to have a strong America that has control over critical technologies, that have a vibrant, capable, uh, talented, and professional workforce, and provide good jobs to Americans. I, I, th- I think those are those are the objectives. I think that the way to achieve it is a lo- needs to be a little bit more thoughtful regarding what is really critical. And I'm going back to the to the industrial base report that Eric Tuning and team, when he was in in the department, comprised you know composed, and that was a very thoughtful um, industrial based uh, uh, paper that really uh, pointed out to where do we really need to put attention and. And, and invest. I think one of the other unintended consequences of some of the top down percent based drive on, on uh, uh, Buy American is the fact that some of our uh, customers, potential customers in Europe and other places, are retaliating and saying the same thing. Okay, fine. Then, then if you want uh, us to buy anything from you, then we need to have X percentage done in our country. And I think it just makes things more complex more difficult. So so in general, Vago, I understand the objective and the expectation. I think we need to have a little bit more thoughtful and a more discriminatory way to really go after the stuff that really matters and we care about rather than look at a very generalist
0: approach to this. We're facing a great retirement. As you said, uh, growth uh, of any great company depends on great people. Um, Talk to us about recruiting and retaining talent and whether or not we need to have a broader national strategy to attract people to the hard sciences, technical skills uh, that we need for the United States to remain competitive in an increasingly competitive world.
1: The simple answer is absolutely, well, I think that's the biggest challenge we face around talent. And uh, I, I think that, that we are uh, expanding vastly what we do to be proactive with that. Uh, partnering with academic institutes um, at, at all areas. Example in Alabama with the Tuskegee College to uh, to provide capabilities to our depot there uh, on our radar center of excellence. I mentioned the fact that we're opening facilities, uh, opened a facility in Orlando a few years ago, opened a facility in Cambridge to be close to academic institutes. I think we, from the industry perspective, are working very hard to create a situation we can attract, we can connect people to uh, to our uh, uh, workforce. But I I would absolutely agree that we need this to be a much more comprehensive uh, public-private initiative. I would point out to the task force I uh, did uh, last year under the leadership of uh, Marilyn Newsom with the Reagan Institute, where we gave some very specific recommendations on what the government, both the government and industry should do with regard to talent development. I, I absolutely believe this is a critical area that requires much more attention uh, from both the industry and the government.
0: Before we go, um, you know, we started with the pandemic and I want to bring it full circle. What are the lessons that were learned from this uh, pandemic? Uh, right? It was, uh, it was a challenge. Uh, thankfully, it was, the industry itself was declared as essential. Uh, but there were mask uh, disagreements about mass mandates, vaccinations. You're a national company. There were state and local restrictions. Uh, you're trying to navigate best practices with keeping employees happy. Um, you know, and, and there was there was tension there. Ultimately, what do you think are the most important lessons that were learned in case we have a pandemic uh, again, you know, if this crops up in a month, in a year, 10 years or 100 years? Well, I think the first
1: thing that I would say, Vago, is that uh... – the criticality of uh, executive management to develop trust with the workforce and the employees. Because you're facing an unprecedented crisis like this, and you're asking people to do things for the company, and you're putting, uh, uh, you're facing different restrictions and stuff. And the fundamental thing that keeps, uh, kept us through this thing is the relationship. We have the trust and the confidence the employees have in us. That allowed us to weather those things, open communication, transparency, and engagement with the employees. I think it's number one. And I think the challenge uh, now is moving move into the hybrid environment and the after the pandemic is how do we preserve some of those things? Don't just go back to the old way, but look for a way to continue engaging, continue developing the trust with the employees.
0: And on a uh, federal and national level, are there things that you think uh, should have been done or could be done differently? absolutely i think i think we need to be much more prepared and
1: ready i think that that's where there's maybe room for continued engagement between the administration and uh, people in the industry to understand what uh, what preparation needs to be there what kind of uh, capability needs to be developed how do we ramp up i think that's where there's room for a much broader engagement between uh, DOD, administration, DHS, and industry to really uh, understand what do we need to do and what I'll what be predicting the next crisis will be, or whatever crisis will be. What do we have to have in place? I, I do think there are a lot of lessons there. I'm not sure we're actually um, taking note of them and taking action, but I'm hoping that we will.
0: Renan, always an honor and pleasure having you on the program. Thanks so very much for joining us. Really appreciate it and look forward to having you back on again soon. Thanks so much.
1: Thank you so much. It was a pleasure.
0: And now a word from our sponsor, retired United States Army Major General Jeff Schlosser, who is the Executive Vice President for Strategic Pursuits at Bell. We've been building creative and innovative aircraft, next generation types of capabilities for almost nine decades. Bell is the company that can deliver that.